0: Picture this. It's the winter of 1902. We're in Washington, D.C., in the basement of a government building. Twelve young men, boys really, are sitting down to dinner. Their suits are neatly pressed and their moustaches are stiff with wax. Waiters are serving them courses like chipped beef, turnips, and celery on toast. But there's a problem with all this fancy food. It's been spiked with an unidentified poison. The men know this, but they go ahead and eat everything on their plates. The newspapers have a name for these guys. They are the Poison Squad. This ritual poisoning is actually a government project. Congress has signed off on it, and it will go on like this for years. The mastermind behind this experiment, he's standing at the head of the table watching his boys eat. His name is Harvey Washington Wiley. That's an early picture of him. Look at the homespun jacket and his derby hat. Suzanne Junot is a historian at the Food and Drug Administration. Wiley was born in 1844 in Indiana on a farm, and he decided fairly early, I think, that he didn't want to be a farmer. Instead, Wiley went to a college nearby, bringing all his provisions from home. He writes in his biography...
1: We brought potatoes, cornmeal, and sorghum molasses. We also brought butter from home and made arrangements with a German woman to bake our flour into bread.
0: But this intimate connection with food, knowing what was in your bread and your butter, this was all about to change by the 1900s. Fifty percent of all Americans now lived in cities. That's Melanie Warner.
2: She wrote a book about processed foods called Pandora's Lunchbox. They had moved off the farm, so they had to rely on other people that they didn't know, strangers, companies, to produce their food.
0: This food was all coming from far away places. There were tins of bright green peas or cans of gooey pink meat. The labels back then didn't always have a list of ingredients, so if you were staring at one of these cans trying to figure out what was in it, you could only guess. By this point, Wiley was 37 years old. He was working as state chemist of Indiana. He starts using this thing called a polariscope, which is basically a microscope that uses a special light source. He points his lens at this golden liquid from a tin labeled pure maple syrup of Vermont and sees that
1: Maple syrup has been displaced by glucose.
0: Cheap glucose from corn. Nothing like the stuff that oozes out of a maple tree. In a can of green peas, he finds...
1: Sulfate of copper to give them a vivid green color.
0: Even pumpkin pie wasn't pumpkin pie anymore,
1: but... Mashed turnip colored yellow with a natto.
0: Now, keep in mind there were no laws against this at the time. So food companies could do pretty much anything they wanted. They would take rotting meat
2: and rotting eggs and doctor them up with chemical preservatives, passing them off as fresh meat.
0: So people were eating this rotten meat except they didn't know that it was rotten or that it had been treated with borax, this white powder that we nowadays use to clean clothes or kill ants. They also didn't know that the milk they were drinking had been mixed in with formaldehyde. Dairy companies did that to keep old milk from going sour. By now, Wiley had worked his way up into a pretty powerful position. He was chief chemist of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. He had a hunch that these food chemicals were harmful, deadly even— but how could he prove it? The solution was obvious.
1: Fortunately, the Department of Agriculture is richly provided with subjects for experiments, if only their consent be obtained.
0: So Wiley recruited a dozen clerks and low-level employees. In exchange for free room and board, they signed a pledge that they will hold not the hold the government responsible, responsible for any, any illness or accident, accident, including death. And in December 1902, the experiments began. The men lived and ate in the Bureau of Chemistry. A chef prepared the meals. Roast lamb, 66 grams, potatoes. And Wiley would spike these meals. Peas, 50 grams. With increasing doses of borax. I gather peaches
2: were used as dessert. Canned peaches, of course. Everyone had to submit all their bodily fluids, their
0: uh, stool samples, urine samples, uh, pretty much daily. Wiley even built a special fecal drying machine to analyze the piles of evidence he
1: was collecting. With number five, the constipation has given way to looseness of the bowels. Four evacuations taking place during the day.
2: When they got too sick to continue the work, he would take them off the experiments and give them what he called clean food.
1: Number five is quite ill with a sick headache and diarrhea. No borax is administered on April 27th.
0: Over the course of five years, about 50 men served on the squad. Group by group, they ate borax, formaldehyde, salicylic acid, sulfuric acid, sodium benzoate, potassium nitrate. They lived with sharp stomach cramps, fevers, nausea. Several men dropped out midway, and one man never recovered and died months later in his mother's home. An enterprising reporter got wind that this was happening in the Bureau of Agriculture,
2: and he started interviewing the chef through a basement window. And once he wrote the story, he actually gave them the name The Poison Squad.
0: The public couldn't get enough. The news stories about The Squad bounced between outrageous and outraged. There were headlines like, Poison eater dead, or salicylic acid hurts. And after years of this, the stories paid off. Wiley finally got what he wanted. A food law. A big one.
1: How does a general feel who wins a great battle and brings a final end to hostilities? I presume I felt that way on the last day of June, 1906.
0: That's the day that Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act. This law would lay the grounds for what would eventually become the FDA. Now, for the first time, food companies could be fined if they lied on their labels. And states could ban specific chemicals from food, which many did. Well, for a while anyway. Over the next few years, Wiley kept pushing to enforce the new food safety laws. Like a sting operation on Coca-Cola, where his agents seized 40 barrels of soda to test what was in them. His government colleagues started to see him as a zealot, unfriendly to business. Food companies protested about a couple of the poison squat chemicals that had been banned, like sodium benzoate. All these ketchup manufacturers wanted to keep using it. They said that our ketchup will go bad if we don't have sodium benzoate in it. Again, that's author Melanie Warner. The ketchup companies lobbied the Department of Agriculture.
2: It was a very narrow victory to
0: keep sodium benzoate on the market, and it's been on the market ever since. You can find it in everything from salad dressings to sodas, where it's used as a preservative. The FDA says sodium benzoate is safe in controlled doses. Just out of curiosity, I tried to find another big study that shows what happens when humans eat sodium benzoate. But I couldn't there is no other study on the same scale as Wiley's experiment. Wiley resigned from his government job in 1912. But he didn't stop fighting for this ideal of pure food. He spent his remaining years writing for the magazine Good Housekeeping, where he became famous for his seal of approval and his diatribes against tobacco and Coca-Cola and bleached white flour and high-fructose corn syrup and saccharin, and gelatin, and food dyes.
1: I've always stood for food that is food.
0: I'm Shruti Pinnamaneni.